1: Do do
0: Hey! Fuck sake, man!
1: Hang on a second now. Do I need a yellow hat? Also? Yeah. Have you not got a yellow hat? No.
0: Yeah. Just. There, it's the Keith Watch podcast. It's essential like your breakfast. It will get you up and going, learn some things you didn't know. Yeah, it's the Keith Walsh Podcast. It's the Keith Walsh Podcast. Give you energy like buck fast. And if your head's in a
1: pickle or you're looking for a giggle, it's the Keith Walsh Podcast. Yeah. At the very start there, when I was waiting for Dar to join me, I was singing a song. That was the song. Can you tell me what the song is? The name of the band? do 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 Extra points to the person who can email me. KeithWalshPod at com with the name of the song and the band. How are we? It is the Keith Walsh Podcast. My name is Keith Walsh and I'm recording this. At the time of recording, it is a minute past 11 uh, in the evening time at night. It's 59 minutes away from... The Witching Hour. <laughs> is that Midnight, The Witching Hour? I don't know. Anyway, it's um. It's late again. I don't know why I'm getting busier. Why I'm busier in lockdown than I was. I don't know. I'm getting busier every day. Which is a really, really great complaint, because if I wasn't busy, I would be doing my nut. Uh, it is the 20th of January. We're almost at the end of the longest January uh, known to man ever in the history of January's and um, and for those of you doing dry January it's almost over you're almost there next weekend you'll be able to booze it up big style anybody kicking on and pushing f- through and going for the hundred days you'll be a third of the way there and uh, well you've already done four weeks which is pretty good really good so I uh, see you on the other side one hundred days of no boozers dry january years well done enjoy the booze um my guest today is a young man called Dara quilty he is uh you might know him from being a television presenter on kids t v and r t and uh or you might know him from the radio he he presented drive time on ninety eight f m for five years before that he was on he did the zoo crew um did they ever do? They never did breakfast. They never did breakfast. Um, they did the zoo crew uh, himself and Brian Marr Um, did breakfast for that, and uh, he's in New York now. Well, he's actually home in Ireland, and was home when we recorded that. But he kind of, I think he'd come home, because New York was in lockdown. And there wasn't nothing going on. Um, I do know he has a show out on MTV at the moment. And it's about uh, biggest. It's like two fans go head to head. So they're like stands. Um, I can't really remember what stan stands for, but it's like I am big big fans. Stands. It's um, it's in the song Stan, and now I can't. It'll come to me. It'll come to me. Maybe I'll Google it in a second. Um. So yeah, that's it's quite a long chat we had, so I'm not going to do much of an intro, I just want to let you know why I spoke to Dara, um, obviously because, well me and Dara go back a long way, Uh the first time, I think we speak about it, the first time I did a radio show without my co-host, who at the time was Joe Donnelly. uh Dara stepped in and he ran the desk for me and um, I've kind of known him since then, always liked Dara, good guy, good guy, and he's doing a good thing. Uh, he sent me an email there uh just to explain what's happening. He is not only is he T V presenter, radio presenter, he's also in a band called Apella. And uh this is all out there now. So Apella's debut album, nineteen sixty three, is out this Friday, so that's tomorrow. Uh, the 29th and the brand new single point of view is out now so you can check that out, it's doing quite well, it's got a good good bit of airplay point of view, uh, they're on Spotify Spotify, huh? write that down, punchline to a joke, Spotify but what's the joke? what do Spotify what do Blue Bottles where do Blue Bottles get their music, Spotify, yes brilliant Um, the wait is over, it says here in the press release, Appella's much-anticipated album, 1963, is set for release uh, on Spotify and Apple Music, and pre-orders for the physical release have launched today via appellamusic.com. Now, this is the good news. 100% of the proceeds from the sale of this album, 100% of the proceeds from the sale of this album are going directly to the Mary Keating Foundation, specifically to fund... The outstanding support services they provide to women and families affected by breast cancer. Point of view. Point of view. The brand new single from palette is also out now. Um, thoughtfully named after the birth year of his mother, this album is dedicated, dedicated uh, to his mother. Um, from Dara Quilty, uh, who teamed up with the Marie Marie, Marie Foundation. Uh, speaking of the album, Dara said, I'm not scared by releasing this album in a way I thought I would have been. I'm more scared by the vulnerability of opening up about about it, which contradicts what I stand for. My mother lives with stage 4 metastatic breast cancer. We live and fight together. Cancer has been part of my life for 10 years and I have learned a lot. The biggest learning being that outside of science, support matters more than anything. This album's for the woman who faces diagnosis today, who is sitting in that chemotherapy chair for the first time today for the woman who has just reached her five years remission today and all in between. At every single point, even when the doctors give you the positive news, you are not obliged to feel okay and relieved. Help is available. Please use it. Yeah, I mean, so we do talk about it towards the uh, towards the end of the, the chat. I didn't know much about his man being sick. He doesn't bang on about it. Uh, he's using uh, this opportunity to talk about it, and what he was talking about was people who get sick and uh, specifically cancer um, in this instance you, you get the treatment and you know there's there's a certain amount of attention on the patient um when they receive the diagnosis when they're getting the treatment and you know you get your treatment and it it's harrowing and it's horrible and i i I have no first hand knowledge of it. thank God, but from what I can tell it's 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 a you know diabolically bad treatment to go through. The point he was making is that sometimes it can be the case where people are said are, are told well, there's your treatment done now you're you're grand they don't feel grand and they have a long way to go to recovering and it's a traumatic thing first of all to get the news that you have cancer because I mean your your thoughts immediately go to one place but then to have to go through treatment like that and then you know you're you're at home maybe the excitement around what's going on has died down and you're alone and you're not feeling okay and in fact you're traumatised and that can be physically Usually physically and mentally, you know these things are are connected um and I suppose maybe one person might listen to this and know that there is support out there and, and do try and get support you don't you're not expected to feel grand you're not expected to be like well i I should feel better i better not I better not make a fuss do make a fuss and be selfish and get the help that's out there and so that's why Dara is donating 100% of the the money he makes on this album to the Mary Keating Foundation uh, so well, well done there and as I said he, he doesn't I didn't really know about his, his mum's illness and uh, he doesn't talk about it a lot but he's he's talking about it now and, and trying to use this this uh, this this time this release of this album which as he says was kinda of sitting on his phone for years months definitely more than a year uh, and I think he's just glad to get it out there and glad to be able to do something positive with it and he's a good guy um, so I hope you enjoy our chat uh, I'll, I'll give the details again after the chat just so you know how you can uh, get involved and and help out Um. And go and listen to the music, you know, uh, by the album. There's nothing... Yeah, I'll I'll give you more information um, about Appella and the album and uh, the details after the chat. This is uh, episode 59 of the Keith Walsh podcast, and it's me talking to Dara Quilty. Enjoy. I think you will. Great. Does that say appella on it
0: no it it looks like an a though doesn't it yeah off me who's who's whatsapping me here we are we both got up at 6 a.m to record this podcast because we both have incredibly busy schedules and people are whatsapping me at six o'clock in the morning what's the
1: you're you're between new york and i'm between new york and newbridge you're between new york
0: and dublin How's yeah, that'd be Ross Common. <laughs> where where are you? I'm in Dublin now. I'm in Ireland on the home soil. Um, and I know you've an appointment That's today. It. Yeah, uh, are we, I'm going to record. And is this the podcast yet? Because yeah. sometimes, yeah, I'm okay, recording. Yeah. Okay, well, if you can leave this in or edit it out later, uh, how do you edit your podcast, or do you edit your podcast?
1: It's literally. It'll be. I'll take a few chunks out. It'll be a top and tail. It's a very loose and groovy podcast. So there's cool. no. I don't look for the other person's. Uh, I don't.
0: I don't do anything intricate, difficult. Um, so I only e- record myself here, and email it to you afterwards.
1: Hey, look. If it's he, if it's easy for you to do it, you can. Just in case so- something happens, but uh, I usually no. No, some-
0: this is like if you record yourself and myself separately
1: that doesn't happen here on this okay, podcast that's, that's our that's rule totally It's our rule to
0: not try and sound too mm-hmm. slick the the only reason is it uh is that it sounds like we're like on each other
1: it would it would sound beautiful i don't want people to think we're in the same room because you know christ because at, at the start of each podcast then you have to go this was recorded remotely or you have to go this was recorded in 2018 when we were allowed no, to be close together yeah you
0: no, you don't. That's my excuse. No, you don't. You don't have to do that. <laughs> I was driving in Dublin city centre on Friday, and it may as well have been Christmas two thousand and seventeen. There were lads like Happy Christmas <laughs> licking each other.
1: There's a bit of that going. On. There's a bit of that going on, but um... a bit. I'm Chaos just, out there, man. I'm just staying on my. I just, I just stay in this room. Mm.
0: I don't even talk to my family. This is the. This is why podcasts are truly. Sure, we need more straight white men doing podcasts. Yes, you are absolutely correct. I know that's what you're thinking. But the this funny, is why funny. they're the most beautiful thing in the world because, uh, I am in. My bedroom, your child, <laughs> not even childhood. my bedroom, my, yeah, my childhood bedroom currently with my little setup that I flew here from New York um, because I knew I needed to continue working. So I yeah. was like, well, I better bring my microphone with me. Uh, of course, as you know, Keith, as an international entertainer, you always bring the expensive equipment in the overhead. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You play guitar. Have you ever flown with a guitar? Yeah,
1: I usually just get an ex- another seat from a guitar beside me. I pay. I pay the money. You know.
0: Once upon a time, I sent a guitar into the hold, and then it came out the other end. It was in a hard case. It was a. It was I a violin. Spared, I was. It was like yeah. I. It, it, it's almost like the baggage handlers at like LAX or JFK. Like five of the biggest black guys, like defensive line. Uh, Rams players just were like, there's a guitar, let's all jump up and down on it and put it into the plane.
1: Maybe they hated your music and it was a, you know, it was a statement.
0: But it was just a plain black guitar case. wouldn't, yeah, A band name on it
1: or you know, when people hate your music, they'll track you down. Yeah, they'll track you down. You know, they'll find you. You know what I mean? You know, when you're just happily going along, doing your thing, making music, making a bit of something like some the people who hate you will find
0: you somehow, you know, I don't know how. I don't think it applies to music. That conundrum of, I think in Ireland, broadcasters and specifically those who work for RTE and uh, you work or worked for RTE, so you know this. Everybody's out to hate you because it's a a semi-state body. 50% of the revenue is taxpayers' money. And I vividly remember I was given a television show in 1974 by RTE2. It was called Two Tube. And it was the same year that Ryan Tuberty started the Late Late Show. So whenever that was. And I remember doing this, you know, the press days they do. What's it called? The like the. The fall announcement, you know. Those. Yeah, like uh, they
1: do the um what's coming. Yeah, what, uh, what's it called? Yeah, I know what it is. Yeah, I never. I was invited once. I had a show. I had a TV show one year, so I was invited along.
0: Um Yeah, and you get completely ignored, and everyone talks to Ryan Tuberty and Miriam McCallaghan and whoever. And rightly so, Dara. And I remember I was like, you, you know me from this time. I'm. I was like twenty, maybe. I don't know if you were still at spin at this point or not. And we'll get to that in a second. So firstly, I didn't watch RTE television, so I didn't really know anybody. And then I had the head of the young people's programming, which has since been dissolved, which is kind of sad. Which is ridiculous because the
1: most successful thing they ever did, the den is back, even though they got rid of young people's. And also they brought back school hub, or they, they invented this kids program called school hub, which is hugely successful during lockdown. So the two most successful programs they have came from young people's, but they shut it down.
0: Anyway, carry on. I feel like that was their biggest player. Young people's like, because I feel like adults now are like, Oh shit. The internet, Netflix, Amazon prime. Ah, okay. But
1: also, like, it's typical, like, let's get rid of the young people. Like, they didn't really think about it. Like, typical class, like, you know, school bullies. Let's just get rid of the young people. They're not going to make as much of a, they're not going to, like, cry and get annoyed as much as, you know, if we got
0: rid of news. And no one likes news.
1: Get rid of news. Nobody likes news.
0: Yeah, because you've got that. I'm in my early twenties, I'm insecure. You're
1: lucky to be here. Yeah, yeah. We gave you a chance. You mean look, you look want good.
0: more than twenty-one thousand a year?
1: We we gave you a for chance for live television. We gave you a chance. It didn't work out, you know what I mean? But you know, you've got you got the you got the exposure that would probably carry you through to your retirement.
0: So I know they they see they sold half the land out there, and I know that the young people's department, Studio Eight or whatever, the that building was part of the land they sold. So maybe they were like, ah, fuck, let's get rid of the apartment. Anyway, so I remember doing that press day and uh, the head of young people's programming at the time bringing me around and introducing me to, of course, you know, so-and-so. And and I had the only person I recognized. uh, Obviously, I recognized Ryan Tuberty and those people, but everybody else was Brian Ormond because I thought he was in Westlife. (laughs) <laughs> but he does look like a guy that could have been in Westlife. Yeah, and he was
1: in a band, or he did do like pops. He can sing. He, oh, you know, he did. He released a country album a few years ago.
0: Oh, he's a he's a oh he's a fine chanter. He's a talent. But I recognized. I recognize him, and I remember Toberdy, and toberty is very nice to mm. me because I was like the first. I was fresh blood, so. I think the idea was somebody big meeting, 25 executives. Somebody said, Hey, what about young people's for young people's Buy young people's? And everybody stood up and went. Yeah, so I went in, I was like 20, and then like Brian Ormond and uh Sinead Kennedy and uh Rob Ross. All Rob these, Ross, guys,
1: yeah, Rob Ross. They a were cool all, guy. I like him, very
0: cool guy, very nice guy. They, but they were all like eight to ten years older than I was,
1: so oh, I literally yeah.
0: felt like a first year at secondary school again, you know.
1: Because Sinead, who also a nice person, uh, Sinead and and Rob, they were kind of young people then, weren't they? But they were they were they, all they, there, yeah, but they, they were, were getting there. on, they were
0: geriatrics at that point, uh, <laughs> yeah. so. I remember like wandering around this so uncomfortable like, I didn't actually want to do the job because I thought this is I'm my, my brain is well, at that time. Very silly. Hey, we want you to host a live television show. My brain tells me, oh, great. Now I'm going to be known as that wanker from the den for the rest of my life rather than what a great opportunity. Mm. How lucky am I? get offered this
1: so 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 were you so I so you were on spin at that point were you doing the show were you doing the zoo crew
0: no pre this is like early on and i get to that the reason i wanted to say was i just remember ryan tuberty he was very nice and i remember like being in a circle of hosts that were chatting and tuberty just got the late late show from pat kenny and uh you know he he said I'm sure this was off the record, but it was 10 years ago or whatever. So who gives a shit? He said, uh, you know, the worst part about this so far. And he hadn't hosted one late, late show yet. He said every taxi, every place he goes for dinner, somebody's coming up to him and saying, you know what you need to do with that late, late show? Let me tell you. You. And it was just, he said it was fucking constant all the time. And I think, that's the thing in, 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 in Ireland, I think people when you're on te- television or radio, maybe they're out to get you. But when you're a musician, if people don't like your music, it's like you're ignored. Okay. They don't go out of their way to find, you know, the thrills and go, I never liked you anyway, you piece of shit. You know? I, 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 I actually,
1: I think you picked the one band that I think people did actually decide to take down
0: Oh, so, did they? God damn it! I like the a thrills.
1: Little bit. I like. I really like the thrills. And for some people, for some reason, we don't like. Uh, or you know, I don't know. I I, I thought the thrills were great. But on two great albums. Uh loved the music. And very unique
0: um, sound for the time from Ireland.
1: Yeah, I think they'd been to America for on the J1, and they brought it back with them. But um, I, yeah, I thought they, I thought they were very good. I I was. I think for some reason, Ireland hated them because uh, they reminded us of what we weren't. And we weren't at that point where we were cool enough to wear skinny jeans. And uh, Oh
0: yeah, they were like, yeah, they were like, like, yeah, I listened to the strokes.
1: Yeah, they were surfer dudes kind of, but everyone was like, fucking surfer dudes. You're not surfer dudes. You live in fucking, you know, whatever, Dunleary. I don't know where they lived, but, uh, you know, so, so it was like, we you know, don't be don't be putting on American accents and, you know trying to pull oh like, yeah the whole thing
0: with the way you sing but when you yeah. have an irish accent and you sing it's you don't like we don't see the irish accent is not as i feel like obviously america is oh my god mm. but we don't have that english drone the way we say are like is the way the americans say are mm. where in england they say all so the English have that real, oh, everything's really down here in England. It's really like low. Everything's very low. So I feel like when an Irish person sings, unless they're like, on Raglan Road, for the most part, it's just going to sound like a a person Some singing.
1: Sound I mean. Amer- Yeah, but you see, I think uh, we don't have, like, the one thing we didn't do was copy British accents, but people always think that we copy American accents. Like, everyone says, oh, Bono. Bono puts on a, a faux American accent when he's singing, but he just... That's just the way he talks. We have an elevator. We have an elevator, you know, accents.
0: It's just... Except for Newbridge.
1: Well, Newbridge has a very distinct uh, bioclimate accent, uh, very culture. Un-for- culture very, in- very unfortunate. Which is, which is unique to... The world, basically, it's beautiful. You don't have it though. I'm from the Midlands, really. I, I'm from.
0: I don't. I, I, I'm from Westmead. Yeah, you don't have the new. The new bridge is is a, it's a thing of its own.
1: No bridge. Where does where's Ronan from?
0: Is he from? Is he an awfully man? Ronan plays drums. Ronan Nolan, the drummer in my band Apella, and also every other band in the world.
1: So he, so I met him first when he was playing with a band from, I think they were from Tullamore. Uh, they had a that's single home, out.
0: That's his hometown, yeah, Tullamore.
1: He, they had a single out uh, that we played a lot on iRadio. Um, oh, could have been.
0: He's in it. He's been.
1: And then he played with Brezzy. Did he? Did he play with Brezzy? Did I imagine that?
0: No, he uh, when Brezzy, played, re, Brezzy played with, playing with Brezzy. Opened. Ronan Nolan opened for Bon Jovi. When Brezzy, he was present when Brezzy did the Brezzy solo thing. He was the uh, his drummer, I suppose you would call session player. Uh, he plays with Ryan Sheridan. He plays, oh, yeah, yeah. uh, currently he's playing with Gavin James. Doing so he's, all the he's, live the,
1: he's the go to guy, is he?
0: Oh, he is. You know why he is because he's like the best at his instrument mm. and. Obviously playing, I've become so used to playing with them that I just expect everybody to be that good. And then it's when you play with a drummer who isn't as good, you're like, oh, shit, really? You're out of time here, baby. And then when I learned how to produce music and edit music, not unsimilar. I mean, you know what it's like to look at a waveform and Mm -hmm. when you've been doing radio for 40 years. So you know what it's like to edit a thing. Similar idea with music, you know. That's what it looks like on on the screen. You're matching things up, except for the difference is with music and contemporary music, it must be in time. You know, like uh, classical music, it's a different thing altogether. The, uh, classical musicians actually experience music and rhythm. They hear it differently to contemporary musicians, which is a whole other rabbit hole. Um, so. As I'm learning and I'm learning Pro Tools, and I'm learning about producing, and I and we we, we record Ronan. So, if just to the person listening who doesn't know anything about music, for the most part, when you're writing a song, the first thing that goes to tape is drums. The song starts with drums, and then you do bass, and then you might do uh, guitars, keys, synths. You can so you're building the song up. So. The first thing that happens is complete silence and beep, boop, 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 beep, boop, 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 beep, and the drummer plays the song. And the beep, boop, boop, boop is to keep the drummer in time because the song has a tempo. And when you look at Ronan playing on a Pro Tools, you see how in time he is because there is a grid to tell you that's the one note, the two note, the three note, the four note. And that's when I was like, holy shit, this guy is like a metronome. Where I'm playing guitar and I'm like, "Whoa, that G chord is way off over there." Let's just move that one up a little bit over. So he is like astronomically, astronomically talented. I keep telling him to quit and move to Nashville. Yeah, this, go to Nashville, man. You'd be a millionaire.
1: He he also is incredibly nice. Ah, he's unique. He's he's unique in that he's talented. And terribly sound. He's one of the nicest fellows I ever met. Anyway.
0: I had him on my podcast. Uh, I saw that, podcast. yes. And he was. Uh, he said he was nervous before he was. He was doing. It. And he gets nervous before nothing. <laughs>
1: like, but he probably doesn't like talking about himself. He likes to express himself through the drums or whatever instrument he's playing. He loves the crack.
0: He he's an incredible storyteller. Like when we were recording that album. It was mostly Joe Egan who owns the studio and myself and Joe produced the whole thing. And we would like have a day. It was recorded in the Midlands. Clara County Offaly was where the whole most recorded. Actually, everything was recorded there. And there were days where it was just Joe and I, and we'd like to start early and we might be tired, you know, from doing morning radio for years, there are on days and off days. And we call Ronan just to have him in the room to call us pricks, tell us this is shit and kick a chair over. Because that would get you going again. Because he's so funny. And that's like legitimately how he is. He's the fucking best guy to be. I had like been in New York for a year. I hadn't seen him. I saw him last week in between lockdowns or, or whatever to do the podcast. And uh, walked into his house and it was like, you know, I saw him yesterday. And I think good friendships or good relationships are the ones that don't require maintenance. Mm, definitely. Totally. Um,
1: so let's go back to, uh, so I met you first on Spin. You were 12. Um, you. I think the first time... I think Joe went off somewhere and you ran the desk for me or something like that. Was that was that what happened? Joe was, had a day off and I couldn't fucking run the desk or something. You're indirectly
0: responsible for my career. You do know that, am I? yeah? yeah. How? <laughs> How indirectly? Because this was like two thousand and nine, ish. I, I I think it was.
1: I think I was just. It was probably two thousand nine or before that because two
0: thousand eight, maybe. I, I was about done,
1: nine. So, I was going. Yeah, I was going to leave. I was going to leave. Spin.
0: So that was the catalyst. So, uh, I got in, started from the bottom. Now I'm here. Drake stole that for me, actually. <laughs> my
1: career. It's, that song is about your career. Local radio. <laughs> <laughs> you get inspiration from uh, everywhere.
0: So I, I was doing every single job possible, from handing out car stickers. My very first job in radio. Do you know what that was? Um, were you a spinny? I got paid 50 euro to hold a blue balloon for four hours. Cool. Where, where, wow, that's pretty cool. My first radio job.
1: I'd say you were happy with that 50 euro for four hours.
0: Just finished my, just finished my leaving certificate. The uh, crash, the financial crash. I did my leaving certificate about a year before that happened. So the boom was in, baby. They were handing out 50 euro for four <laughs> hours.
1: For anybody that would hold a balloon.
0: So No that,
1: experience necessary.
0: The 98FM Fugitive was going to be on Grafton Street at 2.30 p.m. on Saturday holding a blue balloon with a bounty of, like, you know, 25 grand on his head. And the 98FM Fugitive was a competition done many years ago well basically you'd listen to the radio station some guy would come on he'd give clues he'd be in a place and you had to go and say are you the 98 FM fugitive are you the... that was the exact question you had to ask and if you found him it was a real thing mm-hmm. if you asked the person then you'd win 5 grand 10 grand 20 grand but obviously the longer it went on the the, the bigger the bounty and this saturday so It was evidently the crescendo of the competition. I didn't know because I didn't listen to the radio ever. And they paid 250 students as decoy fugitives. So great promotion by 98 FM, in fairness. Great idea. Yeah, really good. Yeah, very successful. Grafton Street was full of people holding blue balloons. And then hundreds of people going, are you a 98 FM fugitive? Are you like?" So I I did that for four hours and then I found out who was in charge and I kept on asking, can I do this again? Can I see? Cause my cousin had been a at 98 at FM thunder, a street teamer. Okay. I was like, Oh my cousin, Robbie. And he got fired from the job <laughs> cause he didn't show up. He was supposed to be a secret Santa and he was too hung over and he never showed up and fucked up competition.
1: <laughs> a very so, secret Santa.
0: So he, um, so I don't know, he knew the girl or some shit like that. And I kept on texting, can I do this, can I do this again? So, you know, went from doing that balloon job to handing out stickers at matches at the Aviva Stadium and so on and so forth. And I eventually, eventually wangled my way into the building and asked uh, about the studio because I obviously was into music. And a, a thing in radio that happens and that Keith mentioned was um, when... Somebody is on a thing called an OB outside broadcast when the 2FM roadcaster is live from O'Leary's in Kilkenny this morning. Where they, uh... There's a guy back at base who's like running the show. The show still comes from the main building, doing the music, all the iRadio, all that shit. And then rather than putting up the presenter mic, they put up the mic of the, the bus or the van or whatever. So I wanted to learn how to do that. So I learned how to do that. And I, for some reason, inexplicably, I just got it quickly. was this like, you know those people who learn how to drive a stick shift car Mm. and they get it immediately and pass their driving test or they stink and it takes them six goes to pass their driving test. Yeah. I guess it's just kind of how you're wired. Yeah. Like I would, I was, it took me a long time to learn the desk. So it's kind of one of those things that Mm. like, some people are inexplicably good at mathematics and they do honors and they're fucking geniuses. But, you know, anyway, so it's just one of these things. I had never sat at a desk before. I just it made sense to me. <coughs> Sorry, I have Corona. And then um, <laughs> uh, I had learned how to do that. And I was doing that in spin and 98 because they're part of the same company. And then I asked, could I go on the air? It was an Australian lady called Tony Tanelia. Oh, Tarny. Yeah. Tony, mate.
1: Oh, Tony, yes. Remember? She right. you, she, you went on night times, didn't
0: you? I said, can I go on? There's nobody on in the nighttime. Can I go on in the nighttime? And when I said I did every job, man, I was the producer of a psychic radio show for like a year and a half. Cool. Friday and Sunday nights, the Una Power show. And the only reason I was the producer of that show is because I knew how to do the console. So she would sit in like, it was like the 80s. She would sit in the middle booth and we'd have A4 sheets of paper. We'd fold them in half. We'd write the names of the caller. And we'd stick them up on the window. And it would be like, Keith. And she'd be like, Keith, hello, Keith. Hey, Una, is there any love? Co- and then when you're finished, we take down Keith. And then we put up ad break. It was really old school. So I did that. And then I would go on the air myself from midnight to 6 a.m. Literally to learn how to do it or to get up air miles. So I did that for about two or three months. During this time. I was in the building, we would have met Joe and Keith breakfast breakfast express on spin. Joe may have been off. You may not have been a desk guy, so I probably did do the desk Mm. for you. Yeah. But this must have been about the time you were deciding to leave. Because excuse me, dog, we're in the middle of a really (laughs) He
1: hates he hates Una power. Hates that show. (laughs) That's, That's Una. That's
0: his trigger. That's Una. Una is speaking to us <laughs> from through the dog. <laughs> so, so I, uh I, uh wasn't on spin yet at this point, mm. uh, but I've been doing this, you know, I, I guess panel opping or whatever they call it. Um, and your show was the shit, man. Joe and Keith was the 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 show. Lucky Jim, lucky lucky Jim. I mean, it was. And you were two guys that weren't from Dublin on a Dublin radio station. It was so dry and sarcastic. It was fucking brilliant. Uh, and I'm not just saying that because I'm on your podcast. It really, really was. Um, and you had got a big offer and decided to move on to a new thing. And uh, I, th- this is where it, your move was the catalyst because the guy they put on after you was Ryan Phillips. Yeah. Ryan Phillips was hosting a a late night show on spin called the lock-in with Ryan Phillips. So they move Ryan Phillips down pair Ryan with Tracy. Mm. Thus the world famous fully charged with Ryan and Tracy was born. And then that leaves a window for me to slip into nighttime. So if you didn't leave, Ryan would not have moved to breakfast and I'd still be on nights in 98 FM and there would be no podcast. There'd be
1: no bands. There'd be no nothing. The, the um,
0: oh, that's I why I think people need to know about is that like, for me, it happened very fast and quick, but it was, a, it was a, a look and a timing thing because sometimes there is no movement in radio. No, it just so happened at that time. You guys have been on the air since day one or close on spin. You've been on for years the time had come to move on, which is healthy and good to do in any walk of life, I think. Um, But I was just right place, right time. Um, I moved on
1: to give you an opportunity because I knew the young people needed the opportunities. You did. I didn't. um And I, it wasn't that I got a big offer. It was just that I'd been doing that for five years. And there was, uh, I mean, there was low ceilings in that building anyway, but I was very aware of the ceiling that we had reached. There was nowhere to go within the group. Like there was no... There was no offers coming in to like move on to Today FM. There was no offers to move to 98. There was no, there was nowhere to go. As you said, like there's very little, a lot, sometimes in radio can be very stagnant and within groups like Communicor, there just wasn't any. And I was like, I just got claustrophobic. I was just like, this is shit. I'm not learning anything new. I wasn't getting an opportunity really to get a good go at the desk or, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't upskilling I wasn't I was just I was just the guy that sat on the other side of the desk and said stuff and wrote sketches and you know was tried to be funny which is great you know and and you know looking back on it I should have been more grateful and I should have been like that's that's a fucking sweet deal you've got there you just rock up no responsibilities try and be funny well you've responsibilities to write the, the sketches and stuff like that but but I just got very antsy uh I got very uh claustrophobic and I left I didn't have anything I left And I happened to to get a gig then with iRadio subsequently. Oh, I thought it was because of
0: the iRadio. No, I had nothing. I just said, no, I'm I'm gone. Let's draw similarities here, Your Honor. Let (laughs) me present this to the jury. You speak about five years. That's exactly how long I did on 98FM's Big Ride Home. Five years.
1: So how did you, like, what was the... I mean, I, I used to tune into The Big Ride right Home and uh, I really liked it, but you were quite dry as well. Uh, and I sometimes wondered whether it was like, I know it's your style, but sometimes this just like, you're like. Okay, we've got Sweet 16 and this is the great, and you used to, you would say things like, it's the greatest feature ever on the radio, which is kind of like, it was our shtick, you know, but, but it, behind that shtick, there is a little bit of like, Yeah, I get how, you know, this is mainstream radio here and, uh, you know, and I and it's cool and all, but like, you know, at the same time, you know, there's a funny, there's a funny dynamic where you're trying to have your own personality, but you still have, it's like 98 FM is is mainstream radio, you know, or or traditionally for the housewives. I mean, it changed by the time you got there,
0: but... uh, I don't know. It was still the baby. It was still for the adults, you know, it was still... And you know it, it's it's the expensive one to advertise on, you know. So there was very much, and I had to take over from Dermot and Dave. Wow, you know, I, re- I remember it so vividly because I was twenty five so when I got off of that show, and Dermot and Dave were moving to Today FM, and that that was planned. You see, uh, I think at your time. The group was a little bit more separated than it than it became, mm. and uh, there were like progression paths kind of opened up more. I think you know, oh, maybe management strategy changed over the years. Uh, I never expected I would be on today FM. I was doing the Zoo Crew, Brian and Dara, whatever the fuck you want between six forty-five and eight forty-five. M- one of the best shows. Like and Brian is one of my closest friends still. I was a groomsman at his wedding. It was a you it know.
1: was a great show though. It was very very good, very he's funny. A great
0: guy. Hmm. You know he you're both, is, you're both great
1: guys. Come on.
0: He's another Come on, Ronan. You know you got us got us around yourself by great Ronans. Great yeah yeah. Brian's and Ronans. I have never like Brian and I were. You know what it's like to be in in a duo. I swear to God even to this day, post-Zoo Crew, Brian and I have never had an argument. Not, yeah. not even a tiff. It was, it, and a lot of that's down to him. He's a lot less high strung than I am for sure. He actually brought me down quite a bit from, I, I was very misunderstood because of the on-air persona versus the real life person. So you remember me from the old, old show where it was really overt, ostentatious. This is the best radio. This is the greatest show. I am the king. Mm. That's a shtick. Like, that's not real. yeah. Yeah. But I think a lot of people thought that it was. And that you thought you were. Which I absolutely didn't. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a shtick, yeah, yeah. Like riddled with anxiety. Riddled. So that was like a facade. For so again, inexplicably, I don't know where it comes from. Maybe my dad, like he he uh plays guitar, sings, can be the life and soul of a party. I am known as Johnny Quilty's son. That's like my second name. He's been in the publican business since the 1800s. So everybody knows him. He knows everybody. There was a short period of time when I was uh, on television where he became <laughs> Derek Quilty's dad. And then it was, Oh, Johnny Quilty's young lad is on the TV. So I'm known as Johnny Quilty's son. So, so you knew how, you knew how to put on the show. I think it was. Yeah. That's what I, th- I think, Um, you know, now that I'm older, and wiser uh yeah for sure that's what it was it was definitely uh, a thing and then being on radio you know even this i know there's there's two of us here and one person listening somewhere that's going my,
1: my, my oh, yeah mother, my mother
0: uh it, radio is an amazing because it's so intimate and like what you know what keith is talking about like you know you're on your own and it's you and you know there's an audience but you're still alone. So you can you can be really confident because you can't see eyes. It's different to being on television because there's a crew and there's cameras. And it's different if it's different to being on stage because you can see eyeballs. Actually, bizarrely, in performing, the bigger the stage, the easier it is. It's easier to play the three arena than it is to play upstairs in Wheelands. Playing upstairs in Wheelands is twice as terrifying as playing three arena. Because you walk on.
1: People can see the whites of your eyes.
0: People say that, but that's true. You walk on stage in three arena, you can't see anybody. Or it's just a mass of people. You walk on stage upstairs in Wheelands, and it's.
1: (coughs) Yeah, you you can see the person on the table over to the left with just like looking confused you can see yeah. them looking confused and actually <laughs> afterwards when you're talking to them they're the person that enjoyed it the most but they were just <laughs> they were just so nervous they couldn't they, they just wet themselves in excitement and they were sitting with a confused face on them but yeah totally I'm, yeah I, radio but, is like
0: it's it's but, just it's so you can be anything and i know did, this theater of the mind and but you can really if you want to do it you can really create that
1: because because Foley did did that. Uh yeah. like the big show. Uh he was he was on today yeah. FM doing the big show, doing the you know, the king of lunchtime, the you know, all that kind of stuff, which people people took to be a sign that this guy's a wanker who thinks he's the greatest, you know, but it's a similar shtick, you know, and it's hard because my experience of Ray is uh he's not a wanker, No. Um, and he's kind of awkward, you know? I mean, he, he's more awkward than you. You're, you're, you're a very sort of like Ray is awkward. So you could, you could perceive him even in real life as a bit of a dick, but he's not. He's just a bit socially awkward. But on radio, he was like the king of radio. Whereas you're just a very sort of down to earth, nice dude, you know? I hope so. Um, less awkward, yeah. less awkward. But, uh, but I get, I get what you're saying about people saying, but that, but you, when you're that nervous and, uh, self-aware sometimes you need to be like okay I'm going to go on and be and say the exact opposite to how the exact opposite to how I feel
0: self-awareness I think I think I had self-awareness since the age of nine the age of nine is when I became incredibly self-aware of existence it was the year that I found out there was no Santa Claus It was the year that I found out uh, what sex was. It was the year that I found out uh, that people take drugs. And if you think about nine, like nine is. You found out all
1: these, you found out all these things at one party. It was one, one crazy night.
0: Wild night in Lily's Bordello (laughs) back in 1995. (laughs) And I, You know, it's obviously somebody in my class at that time or their older brother or somebody, and it was just an onslaught. Like, I vividly remember the Santa Claus conversation and then going, so Tooth Fairy, Easter Bunny, Santa Claus. So then God then, obviously. You know what I mean? Mm. That was literally... And then, well, no, no, God is just... <laughs> there is God, but there, there is you So... I became incredibly self self self-aware at at that age and then so worried about everything all the time. Like I remember like every time my mother would drop me to a place, I would think this could be the last time I'll ever see her. Say if she's in a car accident and she dies, I better, my final words better be. I love you, mom. Goodbye. (laughs) Fucking nine years old. You're the greatest.
1: Nice driving. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Say loads of compliments just in case you never see her again. Loving the hair and today. I think,
0: I think there's a beauty in the lack of self-awareness, uh, because uh, I've seen it. I've seen it in people, and I've seen people. Uh, there's somebody in Ireland who's done very well for themselves, uh, who we both know, and I believe is complete has a complete lack of self-awareness, which I think is fucking beautiful because the lack of self-awareness is the lack like I think Donald Trump probably has it a little bit maybe Mm. it's the lack of I don't give a shit what you think and you can just power on through and even if you're a musician and your music music is absolute garbage you power on as if it's the best thing that's ever happened you just you're blind to opinion or that thing that the the overtly self-aware person has is the pseudo-opinion, the opinion mm. you've created before there is an opinion.
1: The way we the way we are formed is that at some stage, and it hits you when you're nine, it's usually not that dramatic. But we learn of all the, the pitfalls of life, you know. So you go through a period like my son is 12 now, my daughter's 19, 18, but what my son now is incredibly, you know, you, you you become frightened of things. Basically it's your brain teaching you all the the things in the world that you, that you need to be frightened of. And it hits you all at the same time, you know, and that's how we know, but you, you obviously got an extreme version of that, which sort of knocked you sideways and, you know, created some, and set you up for life in a way. Like some people will get in dribs and drabs. Some people won't even really, won't even be aware of the pitfalls that lay ahead. They'll just, as you said, power on, you know, um, but uh, so did you, so you, so you did the big ride home for five years and what, at what point were you going, I can't do this anymore?
0: What's interesting, what you said earlier about when you were listening to me on air talking about, you know, there was an element of it sounded like I didn't give a fuck. And that was actually a bit of a problem from behind the scenes. Um, some management thought I didn't give a fuck. And that really pissed me off because uh, at that stage I have like, I can, I don't know if you do the video podcast, but I mean, I have all of these drives like there's. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Camera. That's a big, big orange drive. This one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Radio database, big orange drive. Yeah.
0: Two terabytes. So, and there's about six other ones. So you see, you do care. so it's not because I have hard drives. No, it's not that, that it, it's I used to show up for that show at about 350, 355 p.m. And then I go on the air at four. Uh, and then I do the show and I'd leave immediately afterwards. Now, the reason that I did that was because of workflow and everyone has a different workflow. Everybody has a different routine. Uh, some people like running. Some people like cycling. Um, some people like reading. Some pi- people like lis- li- listening to audiobooks. There is no right or wrong way to do anything. You know? Uh, so I had a specific workflow on radio where I had it, everything. I had designed the show and I had set up the show in a way where I could do everything on the fly. Like, I know in my, I I don't have synesthesia, but I have in my mind the beginning, the middle, and the end of the bit. I hear it and I see it. And I, this, I don't know if it's an audio thing, uh, because I have it with music and I have it with radio. When I have the idea, I hear the finished product immediately. And I love a subtext. So let's take, for example, a segment called When I Was 17. So there's a thing I dislike in radio that happens a lot where people take ideas from other stations and do them. You know, this whole thing where, oh, they're doing that in Australia. We'll do that here. Mm, Yeah. Why in radio is that okay? But yet in comedy, you can't steal jokes. On TV, you can't steal scripts. In music, you can't plagiarize songs. But why in radio can you steal ideas? Radio's the original TikTok. Why?
1: <laughs> because it's easier. So, because 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 the guy comes from Australia and he's got his book of ideas, and you pay him money, and, and, and all he's got is his book of
0: ideas that he's stolen from South Africa in in Australia and New Zealand. I never liked that. So anything I did, I had to come up with it myself. Like it was like even the, the zoo crew, the most famous thing about that show was the your Boys Hoodies which was an accident, which was a phrase where we'd call somebody and they'd be like, oh, how are you, boys? And that just, it was an organic thing, and I loved that. And then we spotted it and made it a thing. I think we got, one time we were giving away uh, a how are you, boys, onesie. I think we got 72,000 text messages. <laughs> to go. Now, this is pre-Instagram and TikTok. So, like, this is when people used to listen to the radio for the music. Like you get more texts for the fucking Howie Boys hoodie than we would for the tickets for Chris Brown. Totally, yeah, 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 yeah. So, and Big Ride Home, I had a similar thing called Big Ride Robes. And that was an idea born on accident. Uh, I had a game called the One Note Guessing Game. Yeah. I accidentally called it the One Note Dressing Gown one day. You know when you have a, you know, you, you say something wrong on the air. But when I make a mistake, then I'm stopping everything and addressing the mistake and we're making a deal about the mistake. Mm. So, God, there's Keith and he got that right for the one note dressing gown. Then I'd stop all the dressing gown. Did I call that the one note dressing gown? And this is legitimately how it happened. And then I said. Dressing gowns, that'd be a good thing for the show. What about if I got like big ride home dressing gowns? Like everyone has March and cuddle mugs and pens. Boring. What about if radio station gives away dressing gowns? You're on your way home. And that, and then I said, if I was getting them, what would you call them? And then people started texting in like fucking this, this, this. And then somebody came up with big ride robe. Brilliant. They were born. I rang the company uh, robes for you an Irish company. I rang them on the air and I said, Hey, I'm Dara Quilty from 98 FM. Uh, this is like, this went down for a week. Then, you know, I said, I have this idea. Would you supply robes for free? If we mentioned your company every day. And this woman was like, yes. Okay. Okay. I was like, great. I'm going to get somebody from market. So it was all born and done on the air. Hmm. It was you know and i really like that so this when i was 17 thing the greatest radio segment of all time that was another thing uh yeah so
1: you arrive at the and i would be a, a, a big believer in this you arrive at the at the show with everything prepared but open to shit happening on the fly and i being tuned into that shit happening on the fly and thus creating your own content as you're doing your show. And that's the perfect for me. That's the perfect radius. That's the perfect show. It's it's there's no other way of doing it. There's no better way of doing it.
0: I believe so. But I believe that applies to a lot of art forms. If you're a guitar player, you need to be able to improvise. If you're a comedian, you need to be able to improvise even actors, even some of the great scenes like um, from the Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. Yeah. Scene where they're and that was an improvised scene. There was a period of time though where they thought I didn't give a fuck because they didn't understand how I worked and I'm very bad at explaining how I work and that's what why I can't talk about this these ideas and these hard drives is because I had a database and this is something that I inherited from Foley cuz Foley and I were on 98 FM at the same time. And Foley and I operate logistically and technically very we have very similar ways of of doing like like not on the air but the way we run a show. Yeah is that's not the original to Foley and I Elvis Duran the morning zoo in New York City do it. Um fucking Chris Moyles on XFM or Radio X, and it's you know and So if I'm on the air and Keith is on the phone to me and you mentioned the final countdown, I have that on that hard drive and I have a software set up where I can type and as I'm typing, it's like the fucking matrix. It's like F-I-N-A-L. It's like, and it'll find the file immediately and I can play it. And then if I'm saving audio like
1: fart
0: effect or whatever, Mm. as I'm typing F-A-R-T, there's my 12 different types of farts I have on the drive so i'm able to respond immediate immediately to whatever ha- happens on the air someone's telling a scary story i can find the music Someone's saying something romantic i have so i have everything ready to go but within that there is a structure and a format there is a clock there are segments uh like when i was 17 or the one no guessing game these are 98 fm uh things uh and when i was 17 again was all my own that was music from my database. That wasn't from the radio station because I knew they wouldn't have all the songs and, and, and so on. But because I was doing this thing and showing up late, there was a question in the middle of, do you give a shit about this show anymore? And I had to push back. Uh, this And this is behind closed doors uh, and say, I've been on this show for three years For three years in a row, we have won best radio show or fucking entertainment or music presenter of the year at the IMRO Awards. How the fuck is it possible that we're achieving this success if I don't give a shit? Like, Mm -hmm. the ratings were good and I was winning these awards just because I'm not here at two o'clock or this sarky bit I'm doing on the air. That's a bit like I genuinely gave a shit about that show, all the way up on, up until the until the very end, and the time came for me to move on. And the company to me were, uh, I mean, that was a, a a a bump in the middle, you know. Once I ex- kind of explained, "Hey, listen, this is how it worked. This is what mm. this is." Like if I tried to explain when I was seventeen. It, it it wouldn't have made sense. There was a whole subtext to that game. I'll explain it on the podcast very quickly. When I was 17, was a feature that happened where you come on the air and we play whatever was playing when you were 17 years old. You text in the name and the year you were born. I pick you accordingly because I'm not going to do the same year every day. So, uh, Keith, whilst you were born in what year? Oh, my God. I'm not telling you. You wouldn't have songs for 19, 1973. You were born in 73? Yeah. So easy 17 in 1990 uh, right so I've become, yeah, yeah i've become very fast at adding 17 to things because of this game so i have my database i have 1990 i'm gonna pick and i was doing the 80s baby come the, on the stone roses so i'm picking three songs from 1990 you're on the phone i have three songs lined up now what i'm gonna do is talk to you a little bit the whole thing is to get a caller on the air to have fun that's the whole reason yeah, yeah. And then there's a great subtext of when I was 17. 17 is the age where you're sort of most connected to music. There's been some sort of sign. I think it's like 14 for girls or 17 for boys or something. Um, so it's the age, it's the age that you resonate with music most, or the, if you're going through a hard time, you tend to go back to the music that you listened to when I was 17. So for me, it's like, you know, uh like blink when eighty-two or Green Day, American, you know, whatever it is like, I'm like, yeah, fuck everybody. Don't want to be in America. So I pick out my three songs. I'm playing them from the beginning. I hit play. And then I have a cue point into the chorus at no point of the game. Am I asking you to guess the name of the song, Keith? There's no reference to guessing the name of the song, but it happened. It, it happened organically. And I noticed it started to happen. So, People I used to let the song play and you'd be on the phone going, oh, it's oh, it's the bangle. It's oh, and then you'd get it right or wrong. And then I'd have a button and then it would be like, you know, is this burning? Any you know, so that became a that became a bit of the game. But the reason I played the songs from the beginning is because I play three songs and you think as a listener, oh, you think you've heard the three songs on 98. Mm, yeah. So like bangles eternal flame was actually 1989. So my apologies for, to the fact checker. Fuck, no. Ridiculous. But if you don't pick that song, the listener thinks they heard it on 98 mm. or they're going, I would have picked that one. And then they'll want to get involved uh, at the next day. So there, there are layers to that bit that were never referenced.
1: Of course. Yeah. You're giving people a flavor of a time that you're not, ne- of the songs that you're not necessarily, that aren't playlisted, basically.
0: So yeah, and without song. even referencing, you're not, it's it's psychological manipulation, Keith.
1: Like we used to play, we used to use music for our beds, so our music was very hot, but we would use music beds, so we'd use ACDC, or we'd use you know, something Stacey's mom or something, but we'd use that music bed, so people felt like you know, to a old you know, because we were playing very hot music, but we had a slightly older audience for the music, so we tried to age it up a little bit. You know, and that's it's it's a, it's a good trick. Um, so so you went so so you were playing the music as well as doing the show, the radio show. Yeah, yeah. And Apella was 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 a thing already. Was the decision to leave radio altogether and pursue the music full time?
0: Is that what you were thinking? uh it's 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 a fusion of a lot of different things. uh my girlfriend was living in New York. I was doing long distance for about two years. I had always wanted to go and move to the United States um just you're, still, because, you're still
1: quite young though, were you there? I mean you, you are still a young man, you know I think
0: Well, I was thirty when I moved to New York, yeah, good, which is nice age uh you know you, it's too old man you're supposed yeah. to be but, you're need- still, but you still you, you, you could have decided you were too old, but you
1: didn't, which is good.
0: No, I knew it was. The, I it was. It's the, it was the thing to do, and it still is. Even being back here, like, and I'm I'm back for a while, uh, with the COVID and the fucking travel ban, and like New York is shut down. Ireland's going into lockdown, and you know it's there's no like I'm I'm saving some coins here by I have my stuff in storage in New York at the moment, as opposed to an apartment. So what's the point of paying rent for a dead city, right? So, even in Ireland, a lot of people have left Dublin to go work remotely back in their parents' house. Mm. So, there's no one around. Um, but so you went- it, it was kind of like, you know, I had always planned on going. The visa process is quite long. <laughs> to uh, the kind of, I'm on a visa, the artist visa. Uh, the title of the visa is disgusting for an Irishman. It's like like you talk about insecurity you are applying to the American government to prove that you are and these are their words quote an alien with extraordinary ability wow you can google this this is what it is wow. you've got to prove to the government that you are an alien with extraordinary ability too
1: I'm, to- I'm picturing the X factor where you stand on the stage in front of a lot of Yanks and you play your song. And they <laughs> go, like the voice and they go, yeah. and four senators.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so in order to achieve this, you got to like three, cha- three chairs have to turn. You got to get a, Oh man, it's a whole thing. You have to get a whole bunch of reference letters from people very high up in the, in the business. Like for me in entertainment, um, And luckily I kn- knew people who work in entertainment in the U S. So like, uh like Z 100 or I Heart radio or Cox media or Viacom and stuff that were able to like, you got to get a letter saying to whom it may concern. I think Dara Quilty is one of the greatest top dancers that I've ever seen. So you get all these letters uh and the company that I left backed me entirely. So I've huge respect for them. They were uh, honestly, uh, I mean, I was there for 12 years and for the top tier brass in there, I have a lot of respect for and a lot of time for. Um, And then you got to do a portfolio of your life. Basically, this is your life. And mine was 101 pages. And it's like, you need to prove like they're looking for, uh, number one thing is accolades so like Whoa. every time I was going for the Imro Radio Awards people are like I'd love to win I'm like a oh, visa 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 um, visa number two is to be published in major publications so like you know like if you've ever been in the Irish Times or Hot Press Magazine or whatever like you just need to fill this book every gig like, I went all the way back to Fox Avenue, my first band, when we were playing Oxygen Festival and like Jay Z, Eminem, Muse, Foo Fighters were headlining. So I'm like, I've played with the Foo Fighters, you know? So I had to put this big, thick book together. And like, I think it took about a year, man, to process all to get this little American thing printed into your passport. Uh, but I had let the company know I was doing it. Like I have a very good the program director for 98. Michael Bred is his name. And I think he is a really intelligent radio brain. Uh, he's like, a he's a friend of mine now. He's a uh, good guy, though. Really good guy. Really great guy. And he was very supportive. And I let him know. I promised him he knew that I was going to move to the US, but I promised him I would say, hey, man, when I'm going to pull the trigger, I'm going to let you know. So you have enough time to, you know, plan ahead. So I did. And he was very understanding and you know encouraging, which is quite nice. As opposed to if you leave this company, you'll never you know
1: you're dead to me.
0: That kind of thing. Yeah, which is such fucking nonsense. I hate that shit, man. Like people need to live lives and you know paths change and cross and intertwine. And uh so once I got the visa I was ready to go and I went and uh uh, I moved in August uh, and then I had to come back to do my interview in the embassy. I got the visa printed into my passport in December of 2019 and in March of 2020, the coronavirus pandemic.
1: <laughs>
0: <Fuck>. <laughs> but that's okay because, bar the fact that obviously I was moving, my girlfriend and I were moving in together, we were at least going to try and be in the same country. Mm. Um, The kind of pause. You've been to New York before, have you? Yeah. That kind of like, dude, the place was quiet. Weird. I have a picture of me on like 42nd and Broadway or something in the middle of Times Square at like 3pm on a Tuesday standing in the middle of the road my arms out with nobody around. It like... It was insane. So I went for like personal growth. because mm. like you said, I I, like you got to a point where you left the company. I stayed 12 years. I was like, fuck, is this all I'm going to do? The glass ceiling, even in Ireland, like Ireland is great. I never left in fuck Ireland. You know, these people that go to London are like, ah, fucking Ireland. Ireland is a wonderful place, man. Mm. It is. And you appreciate it more when you leave. But I, it wasn't to get out of Ireland. It was like to to,
1: to grow for an experience. Yeah. To, to do shit.
0: Yeah. yeah. I've had all these, you know, I've, I had this weird goal in radio and this a, there is a bit of narcissism in there. I wanted to win music broadcaster of the year one time, just to see what that would be like. And I did that after my very first year on 98 FM. And it's like the Jim Carrey thing where it's like, you know, you, you know, these things are never enough you know, what am I like, you know, Oh, I'm nominated for another Oscar. So this year I won't be two time winning. I'll be three time, you know, cause you know, Jim Carrey's went gone super philosophical or or whatever. And that was a weird, I just had this thing in my head. I was like, cause it was like Dermot Whelan, Ray Foley, Dermot Whelan, Ray Foley, Jim, Jim, Dermot. And I was like, I'd love to, Oh, that'd be so cool. Um, Are you saying that when you won,
1: it just didn't mean what you thought it was going to mean?
0: No, it did mean a lot, actually, that first one. I was really, like, amazed. And secondly, like, and I've been lucky with those fucking awards. And I was kind of, I hoped that it would inspire somebody that, is on a like people all, always think that it's the big radio station, and you know from experience, you worked for the big RTE 2FM. Like, people think that it's all easy and you have people to do all your shit for you, which is not the case. But I hope that there's a young lad or girl or whatever in between that can see me do it alone with no producers on just a show. I don't believe there's a difference between being on 98 FM or Galway Bay FM or Shannon side. The same principles apply. It's a microphone, it's a brain and it's a desk. And then you do whatever you want with that. You don't need producers or comedy writers and sketches. You can fucking do it by yourself.
1: Yeah. But you, but you had good people around you. And I know from talking to people who, uh, work on smaller. The, the, sometimes the smaller the radio station, the more jumpy and antsy the management are about. You know, you would. You know, young people don't get that opportunity to to be themselves and grow their personalities and flex their muscles because the, the, the station owner is too jumpy about. You know, you can say this, you can't say that. You can do this, you can't do that. And I, you know, and I think that it was it was partly your ability, your your belief in yourself um you know that that meant other people were looking at you going well this guy seems to know what he's doing and he's you know it's it it, it, you you're very you're quite unique in that i don't like even doing the awards thing i don't ever remember trying to win an award or wanting to win an award and i don't know what that is it's um it's in like i'm i'm interested talking to you because i'm like okay wow fuck if you want to win the award, you have to fucking try and win the award, you know? Which, yeah, no, I, I absolutely, which is, a, I'm not, which is totally fucking cool and brilliant and
0: admirable. And I'm it's like, also totally cool to say, I don't want to win. The problem yeah. is the people that say, ah, oh, it's bullshit. These fucking awards. Anyway, when they're entering, I'm yeah. like, Brian Marr doesn't give a shit about radio awards. Doesn't enter didn't enter he got big right home didn't want to to do with it and i'm that's fine but they're the people that are like i'm fucking entering and then they get nominated or they don't fucking win or whatever and they're oh, it's a fucking crock of shit anyway i'm like if you're doing something do it to the best of your ability hmm. and i didn't win every year like I had an ongoing joke because for about five years, it was me Dermot, me Dermot, me Dermot kind of thing. And I remember, (laughs) and Dermot is amazing, man, like one of the best in the business. And I remember one time there, there's one category uh, music show of the year and Dermot and Dave had won it for seven straight years or six straight years or something like this. And I managed to buckle the trend one year. And Dermot was hosting the awards ceremony. If you've been to it, I presume the big, it's a yeah. big thing, the Lyrath hotel. You're, yeah. you're there and you're like, how are there this many people working in radio? There's like 400 people here. What, how many stations are there? And how and did Dermot, they all get so hammered? Dermot, yeah, I know Dermot is hosting and he's very good at it. Like, isn't he? He's, He's a great. He uh, does a
1: good job. Ch- yeah, he's really good. Yeah, he's good because he knows the ins and outs. He puts a lot of work into it, and he
0: he. Does, he like, he's another person who like really you know works hard you know, and they're not winning awards for nothing. And uh I think that year I won the two of them, and I remember walking up, uh and Dermot gave me a hug on the way to the stage, and it's on camera, and then he whispers in my ear, going, "You're taking all my fucking awards, you cunt." <laughs> <laughs> I was so cuz Dermot is a friend of mine, I really like him. And I love that like like he is happy for me. Yeah, of course, yeah. And then when they win, I'm happy for them and I listen and I go that fucking bit was great. He doesn't think I'll say stuff that suits the music. Mm. That is great. And I never ever and I mean this, there was I never had envy, jealousy or insecurity in radio or TV. Like I, I, and I have it in riddled in not so much anymore, but I used to in music. That's where all that went into insecurity. You're not good enough. Everyone's better. You're shit at everything. All that was in music, but in radio, I just, if somebody else got a gig or there was a free gig, I, I was happy for everybody. I don't think I just, I don't like the ego. So, but I think that,
1: the secrets to success in radio is to have another is, is for either the radio to be your side hustle or for like what I always tried to do. And it wasn't like, I, I, I used to say to any young people that asked me, so what, you know, what's the secret to, you know, being successful in radio. I said, like, well, do something else that you're really fucking interested in that occupies a lot of your time and your mind. Because if you're the person that's on radio only thinking about the radio show and, other people's radio shows and where you're at and where you're not at and where you should be. And that's your, that will kill you and kill your radio show. Whereas I used to do ridiculous things. Like I'd sign up for the local hurling team. So we, you know, we'd be, we'd have championship, you know, and we'd have, we'd have, you know, we'd be training three nights a week. We'd have a match at the weekend, you know, and it occupied my thoughts all the time. So I'd be coming in for your mind. Yeah, yeah so so I was I had a competitive I had a thing I was on the field I had to train I had to I had to you know prepare myself for matches you know and then the 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 most important thing which was the radio show which paid my bills and gave me money was almost secondary so I'd turn up you know tired from training and I'd be like okay shit okay let's just do the show you know so you're very present then you know whereas if you're if it's all about this what this is what worked for me was almost like a dist- give myself a distraction so that I could just sort of try and freewheel through the radio show. So I could try and be present. So I could try and just, you know, because it's frustrating, you know, you know when you have those days where you're just not hitting it and there's nothing coming, there's no, you can't see anything or you, and sometimes that's because you're too focused on it, you know? Um, yeah. And like we did with the, like what I, what I tried to do. And I think we got there with the breakfast show on 2FM was to try and grow it organically. It was a great show, man. But it took us. That- a- but it took us about a year of doing shit shows to get good, you know.
0: No, it was really good. One of my favorite, uh, I think one of my favorite bits was uh, the B- Bernard's hamper. Yeah, <laughs> that was just like when somebody didn't win a quiz, they got a Bernard hamper, and it would be like you know, wink at yourself three times in the mirror, you know. Buy ask a bag for of one, chips. Yeah, ask for one kiss on the cheek and have a Mars bar. And just that simple bit, like it was,
1: but it was like, it was all the stuff he gave away was like buy yourself a bag of chips. And then at the end, it was like, but that's all with your own money. So was, yeah. 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 That was the burnt Hamper was all with your own money. You know, but he, uh, he, I could,
0: the he Hamper. it was, it's, it's such a simple idea, but it's funny every single time. And then it requires him to improvise. Yeah. Something. And you,
1: and you know, that just came from fucking around. Exactly. You know, it wasn't, we didn't sit down and have a meeting and go, you know, it'd be great at burner tamper. But Bernard just on the fly said, someone didn't win. And Bernard hated when people didn't win because he was like, fuck, what's the point of getting people on if they don't win? So of course he jumps in then with, oh, you get a burner Hamper. And he just made up shit. And that was the most important thing. Nobody wanted to win. They just wanted the burner Hamper, you know, and then people would win a prize and then they'd go, can I have a burner Hamper for
0: my, for my. <laughs> but they're the great moments. Uh, they are the great but, but and, it is that thing
1: of trying to do a show like if you arrive if you're if, if anybody's interested in radio, if you arrive at your show and your show is fully formed, you're fucked. Because what you want to oh, be doing
0: of like the content is all handed to you and there you go.
1: Yeah, so you've got to just grow it. You've got to be you you know, i we kind of we came out of, we weren't ready to start, we didn't know each other well enough. We hadn't practiced enough. I didn't, or have these very old desks that don't make sense. So I was like trying to, like everything, no, I know them, but just nothing made sense, and I couldn't. You know, you know what you're saying. Well, like you can't plug things in. I couldn't bring in a fucking my own shit and just plug it in. Yeah. You have to go through a, channels to get. You know, and, and so you're trying to figure out. Well, how do I best use this? I mean, obviously, it's faders and a mic sound effects
0: but there's more to it than that i know this because uh the communicor bought the dundrum studio i think that was formerly rte but all the rte desks were in there so i used to have to use that desk when broadcasting from dundrum and it was half of what i was uh, using a digital desk yeah it's very this nonsensical but it's, yeah
1: it was built for it's, it's built for talk radio where you literally bring up a fader play a clip and that's all you know
0: whereas you know yourself no, you I I, think something workman never blames his tools something something
1: but but it took me but what i'm saying is when we started we weren't ready i didn't know what the fuck the de- you know i didn't know i couldn't i got the desk to work for me eventually i i figured out how to play because you don't want to just play one bed. You want to play a bed and then play another, and then play a clip, and then play a thing. And there was there wasn't any drawers. There wasn't any. There was nothing. It was just like and then, but you figure out ways or you have workarounds that you figure out over time. And then, as if I play this off this PC and that can come in through that fader. but it just takes time to
0: build the show. Like you need to be ready at all times. Like for example, if you wanted to go into mass right now, I can happily. St- easily our father who art in heaven (laughs) hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be so you got to be ready at all times is my point
1: totally and it takes time to 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 build those things and uh, we are we we grew it organically you know um but that's but but anyway but that's but the thing is that you you had the band and you had fox avenue and then you had uh you had uh appella um so where are you at with Apella? what's i know you've you've an album due yeah, what's finally. the crack finally so finally this is, this is finally so so what you're telling me is finally this is your first album
0: yeah well there's four sing- five singles out now holy mother of god the goal with the Apella record uh it's called 1963 it comes out january 29th 2021 and the goal with the album uh I'll Fox Avenue finished. The singer wanted to leave and I realized I can't rely on another person. It's like doing a radio show and uh, doing the desk and all the sound, but not talking. You got to rely on the host. So I was like, I can't rely on a singer anymore. And singing petrified me. Petri- I think it's the most vulnerable you can be is standing on stage, like, you know, saying close your eyes give me your hand oh. will
1: that be on the album no
0: Um, although she's beautiful Susanna Hoffs, Susanna I,
1: Hoffs still beautiful still beautiful I follow her on Twitter
0: still be- not- I cannot find from the past attractive I don't know why like you know Marilyn Monroe I can look at pictures of beautiful women from the 60s and 70s and I can't find them attractive but Susanna Hoffs in the video for Eternal Flame, it's the side eye. It's the side eye. It is the side eye. It's the fucking always looking off to the side. She's
1: beautiful. That's, it's the side eye. Bit of side boob, bit of side eye. You're in.
0: <laughs> God damn it. So uh, I went off and I started doing vocal coaching with a lady called Sinead Flynn, uh, who then tricked me into doing uh, musical theater and performance in. Uh, west college of london or or something i have a certificate uh and a distinction in musical theater and performance brilliant um and the reason being is i mean she was into musical theater firstly i will say this um you talk about like doing uh playing for the local guy team or doing some
1: distracting yourself
0: vocal coaching is one of the most therapeutic things you can do. And I don't know why somebody hasn't like this equine therapy where you can go and rub your balls off a horse to feel better or or whatever. I noticed by going to vocal lessons, I would leave feeling like the weight of the world was lifted off my shoulders. Now Sinead, my vocal coach had a wonderful energy, man, but some lessons We'd spend like 25 minutes sitting, talking about life before we even started doing mama, 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 you know, um, because what you're learning when you sing. And I can try this on you now, actually, on the podcast, and you can try doing it at home. Can you can you sit up straight, Keith? Like, can you just sit up straight and you can do this while you're listening? All right, dad. Jesus Christ. Sit up you sit straight. up straight. here. <clears throat> Okay, so your shoulders are relaxed, right? Yeah? yeah. Yeah. Okay. Can you move the camera down slightly? Just slightly, ever so I look, slightly.
1: I have no underpants. I've only underpants on. That's okay.
0: Just like that. Okay. You relaxed? Yeah. Now you, can you just take a big, deep breath in? Now there you go. You did it as well. Everybody does this. See what you've done there. Feel you've got chest. Like, yeah.
1: Well, I started with my diaphragm though. Come on.
0: No, you're filling up your... No, this is this is a thing Sinead taught me and I never knew about this. Okay. And the next part of it, she, she didn't tell me what the trick was. So if you did this listening by any weird chance, when you ask your friend or anybody to take a breath in, they, they go... <sighs>
1: like yeah, it.
0: yeah. Now, if you... Before you reveal, ask them to lie on their back on the floor and get them to do the same and they will go... And what will happen organically is their stomach will inflate up because the body is like an accordion. So if you do meditation, which is the thing I don't do, you learn to breathe and you breathe in through your nose and you fill the space in and around your, your stomach. And then you, so you can do it now, Keith, if you put your hand on your stomach and you kind of take a deep breath in, but feel the air going into your stomach, not your chest. Like, That is how you're supposed to breathe. Mm. When you're asleep in bed, that is how you breathe. When you're lying on your back asleep, your stomach is going (sighs) up and down. So when you're singing and trumpet players and brass players know about this, how to breathe properly, because a breathing technique is really important. You control your diaphragm. That controls it. Exactly. So. And then in order to not lose your voice or to be able to hold a note for a long time, your body is like an accordion. And then the v- the, v- the vocal cords, they're the instrument. So I learned all this from Sinead. And I'm like, like, I don't know why somebody hasn't started singing therapy. If you don't ever want to be a singer, try vocal coaching because it is so therapeutic. Like, It's funny that when you said
1: that vocal coaching, something in my in my body went, You know, the way you like, you know, the way your radar is up for certain things. I went, fuck, that sounds that sounds good. That sounds like something I'd like to do.
0: You you go into a room and uh, the first thing is you've seen this on all the DVDs. You've seen all that. You're warming up the muscles and then you do your breathing exercises and you do stuff like. then you do uh, sounds. Because as you're doing that, you're holding your stomach and you can feel the muscles going. So I'm learning all of these vocal techniques from uh, Sinead. And this is like 15 minutes before we go to the piano. And then she hits a note on the piano and it's and you're going. Mommy, mo, moo, up a semi-tone. Ba-ba. Mommy, mo, moo. Ba-ba. And like, it's really relaxing. And you, it's awkward at the beginning, mm. but you get very comfortable. So I needed to learn to sing. Um, because I was not a good singer, still, I'm not a great singer. So I did vocal coaching for like four or five years with Sinead. She's uh, amazing. Uh, But then I did these exams and I didn't grow up doing musical theater. I have no interest in musical theater. I kind of do now because I studied it. But with these exams, you have to perform, you know, eight pieces from the curriculum. Like one of the pieces I performed from pre 1900 was from a, a musical called Ruddy Gore. Which was from like 1897, and I had to do a song called "Oh, Why Am I Moody and Sad," which is classic British, like "Why Am I Moody and Sad?" All this like vibrato, and every R is rolled, you know, right. run from all this nonsense. So you have to perform this. Then you've got blocking, which is acting. Yeah, so you've got to like act out the scene of the song, and they've flown a man in from England who's 100 years old, hasn't seen daylight in 92 years. You're unsure if he's alive or not because his suit is jet black and he's so white. And he's sitting at a table with just sheets of paper on it. In the corner of the room, you have your piano accompaniment that you have paid to play for you for the hour of the exam. Then you got to remember all the songs. You got to remember, then you've got to bring like little outfit changes and all this stuff. Wow. Now, the reason that I did this was because it made me, it was, it made, it, it is more, un, for me, this is personally, it was more uncomfortable doing that than anything else in the world. Acting, I did Mr. Mistopheles from Cats, was one of the, you know that song?
1: Yeah, I do, yeah, it's a difficult song, yeah. I, I am, I, a, I have a musical theatre background, by the way. You do not. Yeah, bollocks I've been amus- I- I have, I've been I've, I played the lead in a music called The Biograph Girl in College
0: well why don't we meet up and do
1: some uh, do spring something. awakening numbers babe. let's do something let's do three little girls from school Oh,
0: we? we just need another man so uh, I am um, I didn't miss some I'm dressed in a sparkly you're a cat like sparkly fucking one uh, piece thingy performing a magic trick my uncle's a magician i got a magic trick off him where you put all the the napkins into a thing and then you pull them out and they're all together because there's a line in the song produce seven kittens right out of a cat or hat wow presto and we all say that is the most embarrassing uncomfortable thing and it's you and a guy so i feel like if i could do that i can do fucking anything as in I could have violent diarrhea on the New York subway and not be embarrassed I'd be like well it happened did, so I did the, that the, while recording the album which helped me sing
1: the the thing I want to say at this point is because I talk a lot about you know trying to step outside your comfort zone and the thing that terrifies people is okay so if somebody had said to you you're going to perform eight songs in front of an old guy and you're going to, there's going to be blocking. You're going to have to perform it. You're going to have to do the acting. If someone said that to you, you'd say, I'm not signing up for this. Fuck off. No way. Right. But what you did was you went for some, you said, I want to be a better singer. So I'm going to go for some vocal coaching. You met this girl and then she tricked you into, you didn't realize it was just happened, you know, but, but gradually, you ended up in this situation. It didn't. No one said to you overnight. Tomorrow you shall do X, Y, and Z. Like the thing about stepping outside your comfort zone is just just do something, but it could lead to something way outside your comfort zone. You know. So by improving yourself or looking to improve yourself, you will. It. No one expects you to climb Everest tomorrow, but if you start hill walking or go for a hike with your friend, which is outside your comfort zone, you never know. In
0: a year, you could be climbing Everest. That is so true. You 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 are so correct. If you work in an office and you are terrified every quarter of that monthly meeting because you have to do a presentation, go and join an improv comedy group.
1: Yeah, to, to become a toastmaster. Uh, make make yourself better at the thing that you're that that you know, find your the thing that you're scared of that you have to do that you're not good at, make that better. Work at that. The thing I did, I wrote a one man show, which I'm supposed to, I was supposed to be touring in November and December, but there's a thing called COVID. I don't know if you had it in New York, but
0: it's no, it December. didn't make its way to New York. It's uh, Eric, 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 Eric. a very, I will say very stable country, uh, very level headed.
1: That's the leadership they have over there though. So it's, it's and different.
0: Very little friction in my experience. Anyway, sorry, Keith, go ahead. But I wrote a one man show
1: but I didn't really know what I was getting into. And I didn't know I was writing a one man show. I, I did some writing. I did a course. I started writing and then I, had some stories th- that I wanted to tell. And I thought I could do a tour, just reading out my short stories to small audiences in small rooms and pubs or something. And then I contacted a friend of mine. I said, can you listen? You're in theater. Can you look at these and tell me what you think? And she was like, okay, cool. Yeah. I was like, I'd like to, she's said I think let's meet up and let's have a look at this. I think there's a, a, a show in this a one man show. Let's pull it together. So we worked on possibly a script for one man show. Next thing, you know, she's teaching me how to act I'm performing a one-man show that I've written. And we perform, we did a work in progress during lockdown online, about 4,000 people watched it. And I'm acting, performing this thing that I've written. So it's gone from, if someone told me overnight, you know in in 6 weeks you have to perform a one man show that you're going to write and then you and then 4000 people are going to watch it and it's going and you have to do x y and z and there's going to be lights and there's going to be a tech guy and there's going to be a desk there and there's going to be a guy doing effects and there's going to be you know your your pictures going to be you know projected onto the back and you know I would have said no fucking way but it was the way it happened it was a yeah, gradual it's the
0: process mess. it's the, it's the
1: journey it's the journey it's the process is the enjoyable part of it and that it's the
0: journey it's, not, it's it's also so important because you're not going to go from um your first singing lesson to broadway you know it's not going to happen No.
1: and but so, that, but that's the what i'm saying is that is the thing that people are scared of that someone is going to ask them to you know uh, to sing on broadway tomorrow which is not going to happen no You'll get
0: there, gradually. When you realize, and somebody said this, and it wasn't me, when you realize, hey, nobody gives a fuck about you. There's a great comfort in that. Like, I'm very much into astronomy, not astrology, just to be clear. Uh, I can be very existential sometimes. And I find some solace in the fact that we are in this endless, vast, unknown space going around a star that will eventually, you explode. know. Uh, it's actually too small to explode, would you believe? Our, our little sun. Okay, Our little sun is uh, uh, they call it a supernova in uh, astronomy. Uh, it's also a muse song, I believe. I heard yeah, our, the, our little fellow's is too small.
1: I heard the next closest sun, though, that will explode next June. Just FYI, give you a heads up.
0: Yeah, next June, and uh, global warming. Just you know, you might, uh, might just go for it now. If we survive Donald Trump. So anyway, the 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 point is that the Appella album was a process, and now I'm in the vocal booth, and uh, now I'm singing. And um, Patrick was the singer in Fox Avenue; he's unbelievable singer. But now it's me, and you're behind the glass, and the engineer. And they're on the other side of the glass and they're taking your vocal takes. So if you're in the vocal booth and you're like, we met at a party. Yeah. It's so raw recording music. And the album, my goal was record. I recorded that entire album before the band had a name. I wanted to do it before I was 30. Uh, I funded all of it myself. Um, I don't regret any of it. I could have bought a house, you know. Um, <laughs> It'll uh, be
1: fine. Everything will be fine. Everything's gonna be, everything okay. be okay. Okay.
0: Breathe, breathe. Yeah, and um, I funded everything. We did it, and uh, then it sat on my phone, man, for two years. And um, I moved to New York, and you know, I I moved to New York for personal development. I moved to New York to find out if I was actually any good because I was lucky and very grateful to Ireland, you know, cause I had a great consistent career. I started working professionally at 18, man. Like I dropped out of college to take the TV job. I was studying marketing at DIT and I was like, well, what's the fucking point? Fuck it. So I was in RTE all day. I would leave RTE. You, you were, ryan and tracy were on breakfast i would leave rte i would drive to spin i would do radio nine to midnight so you're top and rte because it's a state thing you're on that fucking clock so i'm in there from like i had to fight to start at 11 a.m the show wasn't on till five i didn't need to be there till four thirty. show up hey welcome to the show if you want to win an ipod touch here's a quiz crash here's home and away Hi, Keith is here. Keith is here to talk about the new Florence and the Machine album. Keith, what's the album? Blah, 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 blah. We'll be back with Keith in a few minutes. Now it's time for The Simpsons. Come on, you do that shit in your sleep. So, uh, you know, I was so fucking busy at that time I actually quit the TV because I love music and it was challenging. I didn't find television and radio challenging. Music was challenging because I was with people like Ronan and I was with people who were better. And amazing musicians, and like I'm like I'm. You had to up your game.
1: I'm not good enough here. The thing that people don't realize, for, very briefly, is what, on television, you're the least important. The presenter is the least important person in the room. You are wheeled in at the last second. Once the lights are done, once the cameraman is happy, once sound is there, blah blah blah. Everything, okay, just jump in there and do what you're fucking supposed to do. No. Oh, yeah. No one yeah. cares. No one cares about you. You're the last person to be considered
0: and you're basically you're, you're... you want to move to new york because it's the complete opposite it's okay. Unreal, okay. man. you're doing a show in new york they send makeup to your apartment Wow. they do your hair they they send a chevrolet suburban i'm on the way i'm coming they, they pick you up they drive you to the building it's fucking like the way they treat it's unreal it's ridiculous like <laughs> coming from our background you're lucky in radio if you, because you do the morning show. You may get a taxi. They may allow a taxi. Not even.
1: The only reason they have you there from half 11 is so they can relax that they know you're going to turn up. They don't need you. They don't even uh, need you there. So so you had the album on your phone. We've been yeah, it was on for, my
0: phone. We've and been, then COVID have been talking
1: happened. Talk for an hour and a half here, man.
0: Yeah, COVID happened and... Um, I I went back at it in Brooklyn with Aidan Cunningham, the engineer, and we, we kind of remastered everything and it sounds fantastic. So, um, I'm back in Ireland, um, for a couple of months. Um, so I was like, I'm here. This is a great place, uh, to pull the trigger on the record. So released a new single December 11th, shot a music video, very COVID music video, just me in a white room, um, for a point of view that's out now. And, uh, I know people here in the business. So the album is, is now... Uh, so the songs are like, everything is now fresher, you know? And it sounds better because of the work we did in New York. And um, it's coming out on the 29th of January. And it's coming out because I wanted to exist in the world. When does this podcast come out, Keith? Can I ask that question?
1: We can we can time it to go out whenever you are you're ready to... Whatever. When January.
0: I'm doing a thing in January, but I haven't announced it yet. You see, so I can't okay. say I can't can t- see it until I can you t- know. T- tell me now and I can
1: cut it out. If I, I'll, we, we can talk afterwards.
0: So the album's called 1963. That's the year my mom was born. My mom is living with metastatic cancer at the moment. Hmm. So when I'm, I've been t- talking to the Marie Keating foundation. So I'm releasing this album and all I want out of the album is for the album to exist. So I'm going to go into partnership with the Marie Keating foundation because they have uh, an area that I believe is uh, not talked about enough. There's a lot of cancer research and a lot of money raised for breast cancer and a lot of awareness. Uh, but people that suffer with cancer, a lot of people survive because of the miracle of science. And uh, I don't think miracle and science are allowed to be in the same sentence, but because of the science, but what happens to the person when they emerge from the other side of chemotherapy? Like, I feel like it's like, you know, the British soldier coming back from world war one, which was, you know, undocumented and they were, you know, they weren't respected. Nobody really knew what happened, you know, in the trenches with the rats. Uh, I think uh, one's mental health can be really severely affected by such a traumatic experience and then being Irish, I think, and you know, a lot of Irish mammies maybe they're I'm grand love. I'm okay. They don't want to reach out. And the Marie Keating Foundation have such a huge support structure and uh, amazing facilities and um, support available for families, people, friends of the person. The person themselves, people who have lost, people who have survived, people who are living with, and they have all these—I uh, don't services. I don't know what the right word is available. So, all I want to do is have the album exist. So, I feel like why not try and fucking do something. So, one hundred percent of the profits of the album. When I say profits, I don't mean the the recording cost. I'm taking the hit on that. I mean I'm getting vinyls printed, CDs printed. Um, You know, that's whatever that costs. I think it's like two grand to get the vinyls done or something. I'm going to give 100% of the profits to the Marie Keating Foundation specifically for support for uh, women who are living with cancer, uh, for the survivors And for family members who have lost, because I think it's really important to talk about it because the more you talk about it, the easier it is, the more you share your story or you find someone else that's going through the same thing you're going through because you can feel quite alone when you're going through chemo, which is poison being injected into your body, essentially. Um, And some people have great families. Some people don't know what to do and it's okay. Your mother gets diagnosed with a cancer and you're like, some people just freeze and they step away and it's not there's nothing wrong with that that's not bad you're not mean it's not that you don't have a heart it's just that your body you can't control how your body responds to a crisis so that's what i want to do with this record and if i raise 1000 euro and that helps one lady that's fine if we raise 10 grand 20 i don't know what what's going to happen but that's what i want to do with this record because look, I'm not going to make any fucking money off it. So who cares? All I want to do is for it to exist. 1963 is the year my mom is born. She's here living with cancer and is doing good right now. And we're looking forward to Christmas. Sorry, this podcast was recorded before Christmas. I've spoiled the illusion. And um, I think we're going to do a pre-sale and it's going to run from, I think it's January 7th until March 1st every single penny raised and I'll have a donate as well if you don't want to buy the album and you just want to donate you can do that as well so there'll be a vinyl hopefully a CD and then just a donate like you know and it could go really well or not really well but I don't care so you know th- that's something that, that that I can do and you know maybe somebody will that wouldn't have discovered the band otherwise will listen to the album whatever My only goal with the record is that it exists in the world. And that comes from a comedian, Mark Norman, who I had on my podcast in New York. And he said, you just got to keep putting shit in your catalog of life. Like you and your one man show, like you and this podcast. I saw you started a podcast and I was like, great. Keith started a podcast. Unbelievable. Now you're on episode like 47. I'm like, (laughs) Jesus Christ. I started my podcast in March. I've only done 35. This guy's a machine. But you're doing you're adding to the Keith Walsh catalog, mm-hmm. those hurling championships that you played in catalog spin catalog two FM catalog. pot. you're just making your life interesting because we're all going to die at the end. So you may as well fill the book full of interesting stuff. That album is worth nothing on my phone. I'm not Brandon Flowers. Appella's not the killers. I just needed to exist. So I'm, I'm this is a thing that I'm just going to try uh, that I'm just going to try uh, and do. So, but I I haven't ironed out all the terms and conditions at the time of recording, um. But it will all be announced in and around the seventh of uh of January. So sorry, this podcast has been recorded before. No, the- no. It's a,
1: hey, listen. This, the the illusion you shattered was when you said Santa Claus didn't exist. Don't worry about, don't worry about the uh, the other shit. The um that's brilliant. That's amazing. And, and I think it's the PTSD of of cancer that people don't ever talk about. That and and you're right. Irish people, Irish mothers especially, will not tell someone that they're really. You're supposed to. You've had. You've had the the cancer treatment. You've you, you've got you know the hospital are finished with you now. You're supposed to be better. And someone's sitting in a house somewhere going, "Why am I still fucked? And why can't I tell anybody that I don't feel better? That I feel worse?" So it's it's absolutely brilliant. Uh, and it's it's even great. The the money part of it is one thing, but the fact that you're going to talk about something that people aren't talking about is even more than the money, because I don't think there's awareness of, and, and cancer is one thing. There's the people who got hit badly by COVID, their recovery won't be straightforward and won't go well and will take a long time. Cancer is the same thing as you said, it is a poison that you get into your body to kill something that it, effectively you've created. And it's fucking hard. And uh, I just think, uh, you know, if you, I hope you raise lots of money for it, but just the fact that you're talking about this, Issue is.
0: Well, I'll, what I'm also trying to, um, he won't mind me saying it. Ray, who is, uh, kind of like a Pella's cinematographer to a degree, he's like documented a lot of the band. And, um, I am, I met Ray, and and I've been pushing Ray because he's really really talented at photography and video and video uh, cinematography. And you know he's worked with a Pella, uh. You know, from like, you know, f- five years ago and he's gone on and he's, you know, we still work together. We're friends. He's gone on from shooting a Pella upstairs in Whelan's to shooting Westlife in Croke Park. The only two cameramen on stage were Christian Tierney and Ray Keo at Westlife in Croke Park. So and he's so fucking talented, Ray. And Ray lost his mother before Christmas mm. to breast cancer after a 13 year fight. So I was telling Ray about this and this is, I have a kind of a thing about problem professionals where somebody has a problem and then they make it their profession because you can come and say, you know, Oh, I have arthritis in my knees but this is how I got over it. I went for a walk and here's my book and my podcast and sign up to my my arthritis zoom class for 75 euro. You don't have to become the thing. If you are living with cancer, you don't have to become the cancer. And um, like, you know, my mom is living with it, but it, you know, it's not her. So this is not, uh, this album is not my mom's story is a part of it, and she's been such a support of my career. She's been such a support of me dropping out of college, going to the studio, quitting a television program. Okay, love, that's fine, love. You're good, love. You know, um, uh, and I want, I, you know, I want her to see the album out there. But equally, like Ray, I said to Ray, I was like, Ray, this is also for your mom as well. I was like, this is not, this is, this is not like me waving a flag of oh, I'm going up and through this, blah, blah, blah. I was like, this is, f- this is for the collective. Yeah. You, you know, this is, and this really important part of the story for me is uh, like, I've been going through this and uh, even upon diagnosis, I didn't what tell anybody inside of the radio station because I needed a place to go where people were constantly asking me about it, you know? Because when something like that happens, people don't know what to do or what to respond. And then what's interesting is you have sometimes people coming at you with utter bullshit from their own or they're like angry at you for some ridiculous nonsense and they have no idea the shit you're dealing with. And this is again, a unique perspective to me only from my own experiences. So I'm not preaching from the fucking the thing that you preach from here what's the word pulpit pulpit
1: where's your mass sound effect now
0: i am not on the pulpit but you know you learn from your experiences but like um but you don't, start to realize, um a lot of shit doesn't matter
1: yeah it's perspective also, yeah it gives
0: you what i've learned is when someone loses their shit or somebody's really angry you know or you say something to somebody and they flip their lid i'm like oh all right. There's something else going on. You do not you do not know what's going on with people. So you don't need to go off and go, Well, Keith Walsh, fucking hell. I met him and he was a fucking asshole. It's like you don't know what's going on with him, man. Mm-hmm. You've no idea what's going on at home, what news he got this morning, what decision he's making at the moment. You don't know what's going on in people's lives. And you know. Twitter is a fucking cesspool of a man, a cesspool of fucking blah, 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 blah. (laughs) And I'm envious of those people because those people don't have anything going on. And that's why they're, because let me tell you one thing. If you have something serious going on, you're not on Twitter going, blah, 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 blah.
1: Give people the benefit of the doubt. I think, um, I think, uh, yeah, look, it's about perspective. It's about where you're at. Uh, I think unique to the individual,
0: you know. That's what. That's the thing. You need to which, you it's meet unique to the individual. Yeah,
1: yeah, and let p- give people the benefit of the doubt. So I was like, oh, well, you know, if you do meet someone, I mean, generally, I'm a perfect person. So when I meet people who are in bad form, I will always say, "Poor <laughs> bastards, going through something." But that's me. I'm I'm unique. I'm perfect. You but, are, but, but um. But I totally get what you're saying. And I think just give, it, give people the benefit of the doubt. And as I said, I, I, I just like the fact that you're going to be talking about this post-traumatic, uh, you know, it's the post-traumatic stress involved with having somebody telling you that you have cancer is bad enough. If someone told you, you had cancer, right, and then you didn't have cancer, right? Just recovering from the shock of being told you would cancer is a fucking enough without then having to go through chemo and maybe more chemo and maybe surgery and maybe whatever. And then not knowing whether you're going to live or you're going to like the fucking,
0: the reality of the five years, the five years. And then you get the all clear. And then you're like, "Uh and then, and then you,
1: you, and then you might, if you still have any strength left and you still have any willpower left, because you, you remember you've used up all your willpower to get this far, then you might be able to start recovering. And I just think it's, really great. Forget the money, forget whatever. Just this needs to be talked about and people need to be aware of it. So.
0: Yeah, I, I hope so. I I mean, I hope so. Uh, I, mean, I, just, I mean, obviously don't forget the money because that's good too. But. It's just something I feel like I can do with the record and it just so happens. Uh, it, pure, pure coincidence. Because uh, 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 Dara Munnis shot the uh, album cover
1: Great photographer.
0: Pure coincidence that it is pink, which happens to be the color of brilliant um, of uh, of breast cancer. Looks great. It's a, it's a total coincidence. The uh, album cover.
1: It's a great shot. You look great. I'm uh, I'm delighted to be involved in helping you promote this.
0: And well, best- really, I, I really do appreciate you having me on the, on on this podcast because I know you have more listeners than I do. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but we can we can help each other we can help each other there's there's a way we can do this
0: it's the great um, thing about podcasts it's a great thing about podcasts we're we're free we're free spirits we can do whatever the fuck on, we want your radio show to promote my radio show <laughs> but you uh, yeah exactly
1: yeah but when I saw you putting the tweet up uh, or the Instagram post up I was like I said fuck I must get Dar on the on the podcast and uh, bing it happened
0: and then when the you email me I'm like fucking must get Keith on now for 2021 <laughs> It's account. it's great. It's what I love about
1: podcasts. It's all good. It's all good. And we 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 should support each other, uh, and and we are supporting each other. We we just spoke for two hours, which is amazing. I loved it.
0: It was a great episode, man. I really enjoyed uh, being on here, especially because uh, I wasn't hosting it. And my favorite thing is to be on a podcast and not to have to host a podcast. <laughs> <I don't laughs> Anyone to... else that has a podcast, I will say yes. I will be on every. I'd say yes to all podcasts. All
1: the podcasts. It's it's. It's my, uh, I, I'll, I'll do podcasts. And uh, my wife is like, you don't know the podcast. I'm like, yeah, well, I can't get the Late Late Show. So I have to do 55,000 podcasts to get the same <laughs> number of people.
0: This <laughs> is well, though, man, you're in the charts and shit. I see it up there. It's great. And I love the artwork. We've both gone for a little bit of yellow. I like it.
1: Yeah, I think yellow, that's the pure mental, the the live show color, so I just went with that, and uh, I I, I, made, I made that, like, the things you learn, I created that with Canva myself. Oh, that the, artwork. the
0: same thing! My what? podcast artwork is also uh, a Canva creation, because I have no idea how to Photoshop.
1: <laughs> yeah, but that's, I'm like, you find these skills that you're like, okay, I need to, now I need a thing, and now, do, like, I didn't, I'm not technically minded, so I had to build the podcast and find out all the shit, but, but anyway, it's, it's, as I said, it's the process and what I'm doing now. And I know you said like you're up to episode 40, whatever. These are my flying hours. I'm trying to, I'm trying to shift gears. I'm trying to get away from fucking hot radio breakfast show presenter to, well, I don't know what the fuck I'm aiming for, but I'm just enjoying the process. That's the
0: point. The journey, man. We're looping back around to the journey. It's all about the journey. Two um, hosts here, two professional broadcasters here segueing flawlessly. Fucking beautiful Sellbacks, sell forward sells. It's uh, the whole thing is going to be happening on appellamusic.com. That's gonna be like the portal where uh, the thing will be for sale and the uh, donation. It's not live yet, it will be in January or hopefully at the time of broadcast. Um yeah, uh, and it'll be like vinyl whatever 25 maybe the cd tenor just if you want to buy the cd and then maybe a donate now and the details because i gotta i see this is what i gotta iron out the specifics of people think the profits well if the album cost them 30 grand is he yeah, gonna yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, no 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 whatever it costs to get the vinyl printed like you're gonna you know, have to say uh, it this is minimal enough like you know what i mean but uh we
1: we'll get the message out there we will get the message out there um Thank you very much, Darren. My
0: publicist send you the press release.
1: Uh, best of luck to your mom today and in general. And thank you very much for coming on. And uh, I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Keith. <laughs> there you go. Derek Wilty, the man, the legend, the myth, the, the, the the sound fella, the good lad. Um, we had a good old chat. Jeez, we got through a lot there. I think between the two of us, I mean, he was definitely up for chatting as he always is. And, uh, I was up for hanging out, and it was nice. Nice to just you know, just a couple of guys, you know, a couple of brewskis, a couple of um, baguettes, chilling, playing chess, Central Park, Central Park. You <laughs> know what I'm talking about. Anyway, that is Dara Quilty. His band are Appella, just him and Ronan really. Well, it's just it's Dara really, and Ronan, just Dara really. And Ronan. Appella is the name of the the act. And as you heard there, all of the money. All of the money. Uh, About Appella. Formed in Dublin in 2016, Appella burst onto the music scene with their radio hit, We Met at a Party, and furthered their success with Graceful Dancer, Logic, City Limits, and most recently the soaring strings and vocals on Point of View have topped Irish radio charts. After touring all over the country, opening for 21 Pilots, appearing at all the major festivals, Electric Picnic, Independence, Casabalooza, Sea Sessions. Uh, They went on tour with Key West. Um, Frontman and singer, Dara Quilty, moved to New York to work further on his music career. and uh, This period saw him playing in venues like Rockwood Music Hall, Bitter End, Pete's Candy Store, and many more in New York City, but then the pandemic brought the music industry to a tragic halt. But Dara managed to finish the album. It's out now nineteen sixty three it's called. Um I mean it's it's uh, it's gas because da- I I'm somewhere in between no, I'm I'm much older than Dar, like his mum is her birth year is sixty three minus seventy three so there's only ten years between us so I, I see him as an equal but he's I could be his dad. Probably could actually but he was uh, he he always had an, an older person's head on um, literally his head was grey hair, balding on top um, so look the album is out go and buy it uh, 1963 it's called, it's out now because I'm putting this out on Thursday, it's out on Friday and all of the money will go to the Mary Keating Foundation specifically to fund the outstanding support services they provide to women of families affected by breast cancer and um, it's for his man. So good man Dar. Nice to see it. And uh, nice to see him talking about, you know, raising awareness of something, you know, this kinda specific, you know. These things get lost in the noise. Um But anyway, that's it for me, episode fifty nine. That means at the weekend I'll be I'll be throwing episode sixty out, tears. At some stage. Next Monday, I suppose. Unless I I could do an a special episode sixty. Maybe I'll see if if Mike is up for recording and we'll just lash it out there Saturday or something. What day is today? Or Thursday. I keep burping for some reason. Um I think I get burpy at this time of night. Is that weird? Is that weird? I'm doing this weird diet thing, which I only eat for I have a window of seven, six, seven hours to eat every day. And because I I don't know. I, it works better for me that I eat late, so I don't like I don't eat all day until five o'clock, and then I eat, and it's basically just to break. It's it's called uh, intermittent fasting, but for me, it's just to break the habit I've gotten into of just eating whatever I want whenever I want, which is not good, and you have to break that habit every now and then. Uh, hopefully, I have. Hopefully, I will have in the next. I've only done it for a week, so I have a week to go well, at least a week ago I'll do for a while, yeah uh, anyway, that's my boring dietary news um, I gotta go I hope you enjoyed the podcast if you do, tell a friend um, subscribe to the podcast, that's very important write a review if you can um, and if you subscribe to the podcast that means the podcast will just drop into your inbox every time I release one and then you'll have to go looking for it and it's good for me, it's good for you Uh, There's a supporters link as well if you want to support the podcast. There's a link in the podcast description. Uh, This is part of the ACAST network. Thank you very much to ACAST for their support. And uh, that's pretty much everything I need to say right now. I hope you're well. I hope you're keeping well. It's a strange, strange time. (laughs) I don't think it needs to be said, but um, it seems to be getting stranger. Not less strange, you know. Who would have thought we'd be? you know when we were looking at Paddy's weekend last year and there was I remember that moment in time where they were talking about you know would there be parades, would there not be parades some were going ahead, some weren't and Then, within days it was like nah nothing's going ahead here man lockdown and we're still here facing into <clears throat> February and then March still lockdown a year later crazy, crazy stories Crazy stuff. Uh, anyway, I better go and get some sleep and get this podcast up. Thank you very much for listening. Mind how you go. Uh, be well. And uh, I just need to say goodbye now and stop this some stage. Good luck. What's the song? Oh, yeah, don't forget to email me if you think you know what the song is. Keith Walsh, at gmail.com. Or if you want to just email me and say, I like listening to the podcast, that would be great too.